All right. Well, friends, I'm real excited to share with you today about uh, the, good, the good news about death. We're going to start a series today. Normally, I finish a series on Easter Sunday. It's kind of a, a closing thing, but this year, we're starting a new series called uh, the Good News About the Kingdom of God, and we're going to start with the good news about death. And again, you're like, it's Easter. We're, we should be talking about life, right? That, that's what Easter's all about is new life, and you open the egg, and the egg is empty because the tomb is empty, and, and, and there's new life to be had, right? But um, we have to start with the death a little bit, and we have to start with the good news about death. See, the kingdom of God brings good news about a lot of things that seem like bad news in the world, because the kingdom of God is kind of upside down from the way the rest of the world works. There's two realities that we live in as human beings. We live in a physical reality where you, you can see and taste and touch things. So the, the pew that you're sitting on and the noises that you hear and the bread and juice that we just uh, consumed, those are physical reality things, right? That's the life, that's life that we live in. But that's not the only reality that we live in. There's also a spiritual reality. And in the spiritual reality, everything's invisible. You can't see and taste and touch it, but it's just as real. That's where we experience love and joy, peace, patience, these kind of things that you can't put it in a box, but it's just as real. And as we live in these two realities, we recognize that, that one of them is ruled by a benevolent king, the King Jesus, the kingdom of the world, uh, the kingdom of heaven is the, is the spiritual reality that we live in as followers of Jesus. But the other reality, the, the, the physical world that we live in is ruled also, but by someone different, it's ruled by an evil fallen angel. And so for the next six weeks, what we're gonna do is we're gonna explore the difference between a life that is lived through focusing on the physical reality versus a life lived focused on the spiritual reality because we get to choose. We get to choose which world we wanna live in. We, we get to choose which reality, which king we wanna serve. And we're gonna discover that there's a lot of, of good news in the spiritual reality, in the kingdom of God. Things that seem like bad news in the physical reality become good news in the kingdom of God. Things like death. In the physical world, death is, is bad, right? We, we, we want to avoid it. We, we, we try not to talk about it a whole lot, uh, but that's, that's the world we live in. Uh, we're, we're born into this world where, where people, uh, are, we're, we're, you know, we're born it with a physical body. Just pardon me while I go over here for a minute. Born with a physical body and uh, a future. We're born uh, with physical needs, hungers, appetites, uh, and we're born with uh, the ability to get sick, as, as I happen to be today, if you can't tell from my voice. And uh, we, there's a lot of kind of things that can happen to us. We can get sick and, and even, even die from, from illness. Uh, we can die from a lot of different things. We can die from violence, war, oppression. There, there are a lot of things that can bring our lives to an end. In fact, the truth about this physical reality that we're born into is that everything that's born is gonna die. And we're gonna represent this physical reality with this, this red line today. This, this red line is something that uh, is part of, of who we are from the very beginning, the very first breath that we take until our very last breath. It runs through every culture on the planet. And, and cultures deal with death differently. In some cultures, uh, you, you can talk openly about death and, 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 and that's kind of okay. And in other cultures, you don't really talk about death at all. Some of you are uncomfortable right now because I'm talking about death a little too much. 
And we've had a lot of people, smart people, try to figure out what death really means for human beings. And some of them have come up with some crazy ideas. Sigmund Freud said something like, the goal of all life is death. It's kind of depressing, isn't it? The great philosopher Jimmy Morrison came along and didn't do a whole lot better. And he said, uh, his, his view was, no one gets out of here alive. Also depressing, right? Death is part of life and human beings, a big part of what we try to do in, in our thoughts and words and deeds is trying to figure out what to do with this big mystery of death. We don't really understand it. We're not really comfortable with it. So what do we do with it? Well, um, as disciples of Jesus, one thing that we know we're gonna do is we're gonna mourn death. We're gonna mourn death. Anytime we encounter death, we're gonna, we're gonna be sad about it because life is a gift. It's a gift from our creator. And whenever that life is extinguished, we're gonna be sad about it. From the very beginning, when God put the tree of life in the garden and said, hey, you can eat from this tree all day long. And if you, as long as you can eat from this tree, you'll never die. God, it was, God's intent was for human beings to be able to eat from that tree and, and never die. And so when sin comes into the world and humans are banished from access to the tree of life, this is, this is heartbreaking. This is earth shattering for human beings because death has now entered into our existence. And it's just a reminder that the world is not as it should be. Things, things are not the way they were created to be. And so we see even Jesus, even the son of God who, who didn't wrestle with the mysteries of death like we do. He, he kind of understood a lot more about it than we do. But when he sits down in John chapter 11 at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, he cries. Why? Because even, even God recognizes the wrongness of death and it moves him to tears. And it, it honors God for us to lament death, for us to recognize that this, this red line, when we, we have to accept this reality that we're born into, that we, we, we live and then we die, and that's not how it was meant to be. So it honors God when we lament death. And as followers of Jesus, we lament all death. When anytime any human being dies, it is a sad thing for us. We don't want to dismiss it. We don't want to take it too lightly because it's a gift. It's a reminder. All's not right with the world. Even though it's inevitable and it's inescapable, it still always feels wrong, doesn't it? It's the wrong person. It's the wrong time. It's too soon. It's the wrong circumstance. It wasn't supposed to happen this way. Why do we feel that? Because we were made for life and not death. We were made for life and not death. And thankfully, uh, there is an opportunity for that. We're gonna read some scripture here in just a minute from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, the apostle Paul uh, wrote to the churches that he started. Paul, in case uh, you need a refresher, was a guy who started out hating Christians and hating Christianity. He wanted to wipe out all the Christians from the planet. He didn't like them. He thought it was uh, against God. And then he met Jesus, like the resurrected, risen Jesus, and it turned his world upside down. And so then Paul began to preach this, what he would call the gospel, the good news that Jesus is alive. And he started churches all over the Greek and Roman world. And then he would write letters to these churches. So he started a church in this city called Corinth in Greece. And then he would write letters to these churches and encourage them and instruct them on, on how to live. And uh, Paul is gonna start in in. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with, with one of these, really one of the most beautiful passages in scripture where he just really unpacks for us why it's so important that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. 
and why we as Christians, even though we lament death, we look at it and we go, it's wrong, this is, it's, this is not the way it should be, we recognize that death is it's not all bad. It's sad, but it's not all bad. There, there's something that's, that's redeemable here. There's something that's rescue, that we, we can rescue out of it. I almost said rescuable, and then I thought, that's not a word, you can't make up words. Uh, we, we might today, we might make up some words to get, to get through this. So let's pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, uh, verse, I just wanna read verse one for you. Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you. The good news. And so this is, this is Paul, Paul's like, from the very first time I came to Corinth, before any of you were followers of Jesus, I came to Corinth and I, get, I started out by telling you some good news. This is where we get our word gospel. The, the words that Paul uses to, to say good news is, is also the word in some translations, your translation that you're reading might say gospel in place of good news. And Paul says, I came to bring you some good news. And then he's gonna talk about death. And you're like, well, hang on a second now. Death is not good news. Death, we just, we just said death is us recognizing something's wrong, that everything's not as it should be. But Paul says, Here, here's, the, here's the good news. Let's pick up in verse three. Um, I forgot to tell you, when you see something on the screen that's underlined in these uh, scripture references, I want you to read that aloud with me, okay? I missed it on the good news thing. We'll, we'll, we'll get better, we'll do better. Here, here we go. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. Oh, you guys sound great. According to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at that time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. So Paul says, here's the good news. Here's the good news. That I, this is from the very beginning, before you even knew who Jesus was, this is the good news that I brought to you. Jesus died for our sins. You're like, well, that's kind of good news. I'm glad that somebody died for my sins, but it's kind of, it's kind of not good news that he died, right? But Paul says, that's, that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story, but it's not the end of the story because also Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. Now, this is really, really good news now. He died for my sins, and it's sad that he died. It's great that someone is taking care of my sin issue, but it's sad that he had to die for that. But the good news is he didn't stay dead. And Paul said, not only did he not stay dead, he appeared to a lot of people. Hundreds of people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And Paul is saying to them that some of those folks are still alive. Paul is actually encouraging them, hey, if, if, you, if you wanted to talk to someone who has seen the risen Lord, that's possible. Those folks are still around. They're still walking around and, and doing their thing and following Jesus. That's pretty cool that they could actually go and talk to somebody who had seen the resurrected Jesus, right? So he died, he came back to life, and uh, he introduces us to a new reality. Because what Jesus does when he comes back from the dead is he he kind of disrupts the meaning of death. And so we've, we've got this red line where we're born into this and Jesus is bringing something new into the world. So he's bringing something new in. So Okay, I'm learning how not to make the speakers say bad things. Jesus is bringing a new reality into existence where death doesn't mean what it used to mean. He's actually bringing in what he calls eternal life. 
We've heard about eternal life, right? From John chapter three, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, whoever believes in me will not perish, but will have what? Eternal life, everlasting life. So Jesus is bringing something new into the world. He's not denying that we're born into this, into this reality where everybody that's born is going to die. Jesus is like, yeah, that's, that's a thing still, but I'm introducing something new. There's, there's a reality, there's, there's this part of the spiritual reality, the kingdom of God, where death doesn't mean what it used to mean. And when he rises from the dead, he changes the meaning of death. He redeems the concept of death in a way that's actually quite amazing. I love it when the, the women go to the tomb and the angel says, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for someone who's alive in a graveyard? Well, I mean, that's not really a fair question, is it? Because they weren't looking for someone who was alive. They were looking for someone they thought was dead. They were looking for the dead among the dead. And they're like, well, we didn't know he was alive. But the, the angel's saying, like, Jesus has changed how death works. And now you go to a graveyard and there's someone who is alive, who's come out of the grave. Jesus changed how death works. So it, it has this opportunity to mean something different. And now what we get to see as followers of Jesus is that we can celebrate the connection between death and resurrection. So I'm gonna show you how Paul explains this in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 17, we're gonna pick up there. Paul says, and, this is your part, sorry, here we go. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Paul said, Jesus changed how death works. So death used to mean the end. When you got to the end of your red line, that was it for you. You were done. And Paul says, now Jesus has changed this. And so now death means that you actually are entering into something new. Death is connected to resurrection. When Jesus died, he didn't get to the end of anything. It was just a transition to a new way of living. He told his followers in John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. And he's talking about this kind of abundant and full life that's bigger and better. It's full of peace and joy and purpose. Jesus says, that's why I'm here. I'm here to give you this kind of life that, go, that transcends the physical world. And then the, the very next thing he says, I've come to give you life, that you may have abundant life. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So Jesus said, I came to give you this eternal life. And you know how we get there? Through death. And he begins to weave together these two concepts that should not fit. Death and eternal life should not have anything to do with each other. But Jesus begins to say, like, there's this new reality when you overlap the kingdom of God with the kingdom of the world, where death is now connected to resurrection in a way that it, it doesn't mean what it used to mean. It doesn't mean the end of anything. It's not something we have to be afraid of and, and try to avoid, but it's something that gives us an opportunity to see new life happen. 
Paul echoes this throughout his letters to these churches. He started these churches all over, right? The Greek and Roman world. And he says to them over and over again, things about death that just don't make sense. In Philippians chapter one, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You're like, that's kind of a weird statement. Paul's like, well, which, which do you wanna do? Do you wanna live or do you wanna die? And he's like, yeah, I both. Like, I'm glad to be alive. Also, I'm glad to not be alive when that time comes because then I'll be with Christ. He says things like, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's in Galatians 2. He says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, that if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone, the new has come. There's a new way to be human that's available to us because of death. This awful thing that's a reminder that all is not right with the world is now our connection to new life. A couple of months ago, I read this beautiful book by uh, these authors named uh, Rice and Katangole uh, called Reconciling All Things. And here's, here's one of the phrases I picked up from that book. Christians do not see the world through the logic of cause and effect but in the mystery of Christ through the order of death and resurrection. They're saying like, here's, here's, here's a difference between how followers of Jesus see the world and everybody else sees the world. In the physical world, what happens? You're born, you live, and you die, that's it. He says followers of Jesus don't see the world that way. We see the world as this connection between death and resurrection that involves new life. I saw this illustrated in, in a way I will absolutely never forget. In 2007, I was in India. I sat down with about a dozen evangelists uh, who had been sharing their faith uh, for many years in the northern part of India where it was illegal to convert someone away from Hinduism. You couldn't, it was illegal to try to convert someone to a different uh, belief than Hinduism. And that's, that's what these guys were doing. They were sharing the gospel of Jesus, hoping that people would embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior, which was against the law. And there were these um, vigilante groups, basically, Hindu extremists, who would go around and, and look for these evangelists, and then citizens arrest them, basically. They would beat them until they couldn't move, and then they would drag them into the courts and say, we caught these guys breaking the law. Every single one of these 12 pastors that I sat down with had been arrested at least once. Some of them had seen their families dragged in front of them and beaten. And we had a chance to ask them some questions because I was full of questions. And we said, are you guys still, do you, are you still sharing the gospel? Is that, what you're, is that what you're actively doing? They're like, yeah, of course, that's what we're doing. So I had to ask, why? It, it, why has the persecution not stopped you? Wouldn't it be easier to move to a different state? Because there were different states in India where this was not the same rule. Wouldn't it be easier just to move somewhere different? Why, why are you still doing this? And one of the guys responded through a translator and he said, what's the worst that can happen? I thought, well, pretty obviously you could die, right? And yeah, that's the answer. In his mind, that's the worst that, what, that's the worst that can happen is they could kill us and then what? We get to be with Jesus. So what's the worst that can happen? This is, echoes Jesus's uh, comment when he says that, we shouldn't fear the one who can destroy our body. There's no, there's no need to fear the, the person who can destroy your body. There are worse things than death because death is an opportunity to experience new life. And as disciples of Jesus, we get to focus on new life in the kingdom. And it starts now. 
New life in the kingdom starts now. Our opportunity to embrace this, this line of eternal life, this eternal kind of living where we get to experience the presence of God is available to us right now. N.T. Wright says it this way. Jesus's resurrection is the beginning of God's new purpose, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. I like that phrase, colonize earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is all about. What was he talking about with the Lord's prayer here? Colonizing earth with the life of heaven. Do you remember how the Lord's prayer starts? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Come where? I thought we were supposed to go to the kingdom, but, but Jesus is praying that the kingdom of God would come where? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus' prayer that he taught us to pray is that the kingdom of God would come to earth. And how does that happen if not through believers who are experiencing new life in Christ? We're born into this world where everything dies, but we get to embrace eternal life in Christ and we get to live in this overlap this, between the, the physical reality and the kingdom of God. And we get to bring new life. So that's what we do as disciples of Jesus. We embrace this new way of living, this new way of being human because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I've intentionally used the phrase disciple of Jesus today instead of the word Christian. Because I think for some people, the title Christian just means I believe in God, I prayed a prayer, I got baptized once, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna go to heaven and not hell when I die. Like, that's the goal. A disciple of Jesus, on the other hand, is someone who is moving in the direction of Jesus-centered living. Jesus is my king. He sits on the throne of my heart. All of my thoughts, words, and actions flow out of my devotion to Christ. The goal is for Jesus to be Lord over all of my life. There's a distinction between the way some people, we might think about the word Christian and the word disciple. Some people would be very glad to say I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I don't know that I would call myself a disciple of Jesus. That seems like a, a little more intense. In reality, the words shouldn't mean anything different. But it's possible for people to say I'm a Christian and yet not be moving in the direction of Jesus-centered living, but actually be moving in the direction of maybe career-centered living or retirement-centered living or children-centered living or grandchildren-centered living or self-centered living. So unless we're surrendered to Jesus, then the phrase disciple of Jesus doesn't actually apply to us. This, this was me when, when I was 20 years old. I had been living uh, in kind of a way, I, I grew up knowing the Bible and knowing everything that God wanted for me. But I, I began to push God away when I was about 16. And for about five years, uh, I, I just lived at arm's length. What I wanted, what I wanted from my life was to be able to say, I, I think I'm gonna go to heaven and not hell when I die. I think I've got enough Christianity in me <laughs> to go to heaven and not hell when I die. But I did not wanna live a life surrendered to Jesus. That was, that was not part of, of what I wanted. Then I experienced this season for about six months where everything I tried to do failed. Like my, all my plans for the future, I, I wanted to have a, a great job. I, I, I wanted to have a job where I earned a lot of money. See how that worked out? I wanted, to, I wanted to be a good husband. I wanted to be a good father. Like I had these dreams for the future. And in six months, all of my dreams were shattered. And I, I came to a place where I just realized this, this peace and joy and purpose that had been promised to me was not happening 
And, and I had to admit that it was because I wasn't surrendered to Jesus. The peace and joy and purpose that represent this new reality, the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God that's just as real as the seat you're sitting on, I couldn't access it because I was not surrendered to Jesus. And when you're not surrendered to Jesus, the truth is this is all you have and this world will beat you down. It'll take and take and take from you and never give anything that satisfies and that's what I was living. And I had to come to a place where I got down on my knees and said, I give up. I give up. I can't do this. I, I can't make peace and joy and purpose happen in my life. Only you can give that to me. And I surrendered. And I have been on a journey ever since then of figuring out how to surrender more and more of my heart and mind to Christ. Because I want to live here. I want to live with everything that he promised from the, from the beginning beginning of creation, this relationship with God that I was made for, that's what I want. That's what I want for you too. As we think about death and what that means for us, we recognize it's sad. We, we lament it because life is a gift, but it's not all bad because Jesus has redeemed death. He calls it, he, he's, he's given it a different purpose there's now a connection between death and resurrection. Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't produce new life. I think one of the most memorable ways that was expressed to me, I uh, had a friend named James uh, who was baptized here a couple years ago and James and I were in the back and we were talking before the baptism and I like to just ask questions while we're back there and say, what are you excited about? And James said, I'm excited about new life. And then he went on to say, and he put it in a way that I've never heard anybody say it before. Uh, and it kind of struck me. And he said, I got to kill my old self so I can get to my new self. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Like, I, but what I appreciated was he got the message that there was a part of him that needed to die. There was a part of him that was attached to this physical reality and it needed to die so that there could be new life. And I loved, I loved that phrase. I don't, I don't know that I would say it that way. I mean, I gotta, I gotta kill my old self so I can get to the new self. But that's what he understood and I, I really appreciated him, him expressing that in that way. That's what I want for you. We gotta kill the old self. It's gotta die. It's gotta go away. And the way we do that is surrender to Jesus. We've got to surrender to Jesus. Otherwise, the resurrection doesn't mean anything. Listen, I know you guys are all here because Jesus rose from the dead. That's what we're celebrating. We know intellectually, I hope you know intellectually, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he was a real person. He really lived a holy life. He really went to a cross and was crucified. He really died. And he was really buried in a tomb. And then he really, 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 really came back to life. I hope you know that. But just knowing that without the surrender piece doesn't change anything for you. Like that's, that's why we can come here and we can celebrate on Easter Sunday like we're gonna celebrate and we're gonna celebrate weird. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna be, we're gonna make a big mess. We can do that, but if we don't embrace the reason why Jesus rose from the dead, nothing changes. And if nothing changes, what are we doing? We're wasting our time. We're wasting our confetti if nothing changes. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. And that happens through surrender to Jesus. So I just want to lead you uh, as we wrap up here in a prayer of surrender. Would you, would you go ahead and stand?
And the worship team is just going to have a fit about what I've done up here. Um, Because I don't clean it up. I just leave it for... Thank you. Here's the thing. Jesus died so that you would have a relationship with your heavenly father that brings peace and joy and purpose into your world. And that only happens when we surrender. So this is, this is just a way that, that I, am, I am on this journey of learning to surrender to Christ more and more. And I would like to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And, uh, but don't, don't, I mean, don't just, this is between you and God. I don't know if you're gonna pray it or not. You can move your mouth. I'll never know if the words come out. If you wanna surrender to God, pray this prayer. If you don't, don't. But this is where peace and joy and purpose come from. This is, this is where the eternal life, that white line that we get to hold onto and that overlaps with this world that we're living in now, this is where it all happens in surrender. Does he really deserve to be Lord? Well, he died and rose from the dead, so probably. Let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, I'm all yours today. You are Lord over my thoughts, words, and actions because I know you love me. My goal is complete and joyful obedience. Thank you. Now we're gonna celebrate. And it's gonna get weird and messy, okay? I hope you have your little confetti popper. Um, what, what we're gonna do is, we're, we're, listen, confetti is a cultural expression of victory. Every championship that you ever see uh, on TV, national championship, Super Bowl, World Series, whatever, what happens? Confetti shower. Why? Because somebody won a victory. Jesus Christ won the greatest victory in human history when he went to war with sin and death and conquered both forever. So we're gonna celebrate the, the best way we know how. So I just want to invite you. Matthew's going to kind of guide us through this. Here are a couple tips. Don't, if you've got one of these bigger confetti poppers, don't point it at any humans, okay? Um, uh, At the sky is best. Also, some of these are kind of loud. So if a loud pop is going to be a problem, feel free to just step out for a second. But Matthew's going to give us a cue. And then when the time comes in our song, we are going to, it's going to be awesome because Jesus rose from the dead. Let's do it.